waste much time in getting started today. I was just telling my wife, generally when I, when I teach, I usually have between seven and nine pages worth of notes, and that kind of gets me within that time frame. I have 15 pages today, so I don't know how we're going to get through all of it, but I'm going to do my very best. Um, I, when preparing for today's lesson, I, I really, in all honesty, had something very different that I, I personally wanted to talk about. But you know how that goes. God's like, yeah, I know better than you, so we're not going to do that one. So instead, we're going to talk about something God once talked about. So that's, that's okay by me. Uh, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 29. We're just going to read one verse to get started here this morning. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. It'll be a very familiar passage. I'm sure many of you have heard and read before. Proverbs 29 and 18 says simply this. Where there is... No vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. The ability to see something that each of us is, is something that each of us takes for granted every day. We use our vision in every aspect of our lives. Vision is a very unique thing because, much like smell and taste, vision is directly linked to our memories. If you think about it in times in your life where maybe you um, saw someone that you haven't saw in a very, very long time and just merely seeing them elicits some kind of emotional response. Maybe it's a good, good response or a bad response, but inevitably we see certain things with our eyes and it immediately creates this response from within us. Vision is something that is uh, very important in our lives and it's something that we often take for granted. But, you know, this particular passage here where it says where there is no vision, the people perish, first, obviously, is not talking about physical vision, the ability to physically see with your eyes. But this particular verse here, I feel like, is one of those ones that gets used all the time by different preachers for different types of messages. But unfortunately, I also have found that this is a verse that is many, many times used incorrectly. Um, what the verse is actually saying in the context of this chapter and what some people try to make it say in a sermon don't necessarily line up with one another. And I don't know about you, but I know that, that the Bible says God's word is forever settled under heaven. I know that heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall not. So if I have to choose between my interpretation of what I want it to mean or what the scripture actually says... I'm, of course, going to choose what the scripture always says. Because I know that I am fallible, I change, I make mistakes, but the word of God does not change. And as I have said many, many times from this pulpit, as well as many others, context is key. One of the fastest and easiest ways to get yourself lost in, in, in poor theology and lost in wrong thinking is this idea of taking one verse from one chapter and building an entire doctrine or theology based on one verse without actually bothering to look and see, well, what is the context? Who is the, the writer speaking to? What's happening in that time? What is this verse actually trying to say? I'm going to try the best that I can to sum up vision, if you will, in one simple sentence. Obviously, it could go much more in depth, but for the, for the sake of today, listen to this. Vision is used to navigate short-term obstacles in order to reach a long-term 
destination or objective. And I'll, we'll expound on this here in a minute. But let me say it again. Vision is used to navigate short-term obstacles in order to reach a long-term destination or objective. Now, I had this whole physical demonstration I was going to do and uh, decided against it, but I'm just going to kind of explain it to you, and it'll make perfect sense. As parents, for those of you who have kids or have maybe uh, you know, other family members who are kids who you spend a lot of time with, have you ever watched them from afar off doing something? And you know that what they were doing was about to cause them to get hurt or that what they were doing was about to cause something to be broken. And you call out to them, hey, stop that. Now, if your kids are anything like my kids from time to time, that's sometimes met with an eye roll. Or, like, do you really know what you're talking about? Like, you're not letting me do this. I just think you don't want me to have fun and those kind of things. But the truth is, obviously, as, as a dad, my top priority is the safety of my kids. So there are times when I'm looking from afar off, watching them doing something, that they don't see the consequences of what's about to happen if someone else doesn't intervene. Well, this is the same thing that can be said with vision. Sometimes in our life, we use our own personal thoughts and interpretations of what is right and wrong. It's our personal vision, if you will, our own interpretation as to what we should be doing, how we should be acting, what, what steps we should make next. Without consulting the word of God, without praying, without seeking counsel, and in the moment, it may seem like a fantastic idea, right? I know we have all had those moments where like, this is going to be the best thing ever. And then you make that decision and it blows up in your face. Does it end anything like what you, what you thought was going to happen? Well, it's because sometimes our own vision is limited to, to that, that particular thing. Whereas God, of course, stands outside of time and sees all of those responses and all of those choices together. In the human eye... Age begins to change how we physically see things. There is, you may have heard, nearsighted people and farsighted people. Farsighted people are able to focus on things in the distance, but have difficulty focusing on the things that are close to them. Likewise, nearsighted people have a difficult time focusing on things that are far off, but do very good with focusing on the things that are in front of them. Unfortunately, from a spiritual context, these vision de defects, if you will, plague our churches. We have spiritually nearsighted people who become so consumed with their current circumstances that they quickly lose sight of what the long-term goal actually is. Because their vision is so tied to their mindset, these types of Christians many times view every single decision only in the light of how it affects them here and now. How is this decision going to make me feel now? Also, far-sighted thinking or far-sighted vision, if you will, plagues our church as well. There are many Christians who like to look down the road and, and think about heaven, which you should. We like to look down the road and say, oh, I can't wait for God to do this, this, and this down there. But we negate or we neglect the small decisions. We neglect the small steps now that will ultimately bring us to where we are trying 
to go. Neither of these are good things. Psalms 119, verses 104 and 105, kind of helps us to understand how to begin to correct, if you will, some of these vision defects. Psalms 119, 104 says, Though thy priests are through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The way that my mind works, because I am a very visual person, I think of it like this. It says here that, that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Meaning that in the word of God, when we begin to make our decisions based on God's word, it not only brings clarity to what we should do in the moment, but it helps us also to look at the goal that we're working toward. So that each of those moments is moving us in the direction that we actually want to be going. Um, in the military, one of the things that I did is I taught land navigation for a little while. And it's amazing how a, pers <clears throat> a person will shoot an asthma. Basically, they'll use a compass. They'll look at the, the angle or the degree that they need to go and have an idea of how many steps it, it, it takes to get to that location. But here's what hap happens to a lot of individuals. They'll take their compass like this, and they'll get it lined up with the, with the direction, the degree. And they will start to walk while looking down at this compass. I don't want to get off of this track. And before they know it, they have run into some kind of obstacle right in front of them. And now, because they're just worried about keeping on this one path, they have to deviate. And when they deviate, they're like, ooh, how many steps did I already take? How many more do I need to go? And by the time they reach where they were supposed to be, they are in a far different place. I also have seen people who will get out on the land nav course and they'll take that compass, they'll shoot an azimuth towards something, they'll put it away, not look at it again, and say, yeah, I know about where that's at, and just start walking. Well, a little off with 10 steps, no problem. A little off when you've got to walk three football fields, you're no longer in the same grid square, which I, not even close to the, the destination. The truth is we need both. We need the now vision and the far vision. And I want to make one quick distinction here because I think what happens is when we start talking about vision, where we often get lost is what the word, from a biblical context, what the word vision even means. What does it mean to have vision? I listened to this uh, part of the sermon the other night. I, I like to, whenever I'm going to teach on a topic, I like to, to read scripture first, right? Study it out, look at it, all that kind of stuff. But then I like to kind of listen to other people's thoughts on, the, on the, the issue and see, does that actually line up with scripture? Is there something I could use from that? Or is that completely not what scripture says? So there was an individual, I will not say their names, um, uh, who, who I was listening to talk about vision. And, and this gentleman gets up and he speaks to the New Year's service and he spends the first 40 minutes of his hour-long message talking about vision from the context of how God wants to bless his people and how he wants them to, you know, be wealthy and have good jobs and all of those things. And yet nowhere in that first 40 minutes did he ever even quote one Bible verse. Nowhere in that first 40 minutes did he even explain how that vision has to be in alignment with God. No, no, no. Vision is what God wants you to have to be happy in this life. 
And unfortunately, that is many times what happens when we're thinking about vision. God, what's the vision for my life? Let me storyboard this out. I want to be working at this job by this point. I want to have this much money, ready to retire at this point. And then, look, there's nothing wrong with planning. I'm not saying you shouldn't plan. But when we're talking about biblical vision, it has nothing to do with your creature comfort, so to speak, here and now. There is what I like to call personal vision and corporate vision. See, corporate vision is, is fairly self-explanatory. When, when Pastor Powell gets up, up here, maybe on a New Year's service, and explains how this is where the church is going, this is where the body of Christ needs to be working toward. We get that. We get that. But personal vision is unfortunately sometimes that we look at as being completely disconnected from the corporate vision. Personal vision is how do I get where I want to be? How do I get the things that I want to get? But the truth is personal vision the times in which God speaks directly to us individually to give us a vision is for the purpose of positioning us to help achieve the corporate vision. You see, God will never give you a personal vision that runs contrary to the word of God. God will never give you a personal vision that creates a contention and strife within the corporate body. The personal vision that God gives is for the sole purpose of seeing the global vision for the body come to pass. Because in the moment, we may want all of these short-term things, but I promise in eternity, what we will look for is, did we do the things that mattered to God? Not did we retire by the age of 50. Did we do what was pleasing in the sight of God? So let's look just real quick. I want to uh, look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I'm going to kind of skim through some of this because I have a lot to get through and nowhere near enough time. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. What that means by open vision is that there was no corporate vision that was being shared with the people. Unfortunately, due to the nature of Israel at the time and their wickedness, uh, God gave vision to the prophet, but the people would not hear vision. So there was no vision being given to them as a body. But the, uh, the prophet did receive vision from God. Verse 2 says, And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. That the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and laid down, and the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Pause right here. Let me explain what's happening. So Eli is the prophet. Eli is getting toward the end of his life. Samuel is being raised up to replace Eli as prophet. So as was customary, Samuel was living with Eli at this time, growing under his tutelage and learning from, from uh, Eli. Eli, knowing that he was going to be dying soon, God felt him called to, to bring Samuel in to nurture and help him grow. 
So here we have Samuel, a young man at this point, laying down to sleep. And when he's falling asleep, he hears a voice calling his name. But he isn't yet familiar enough with the voice of God to know that that was the one calling him. So he comes and he says, yeah, Eli, you called, I'm here. Eli says, I didn't call you. This happens three times over. And now we look at verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Meaning that he did not... Uh, know God in a supernatural revelation, the ability to hear the voice of God. His personal vision up to that point had been that he was to serve Eli. That's all he knew, was that he was to serve Eli as the prophet. Verse 8 says, And the Lord God called Samuel a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Eli, being the called man of God, not only had a personal vision, but God had given him a corporate vision for his people. Eli knew that he was soon to leave the scene and that God was raising up someone after him. Not only would have a personal vision, if you will, but was going to help bring vision back to the nation of Israel. Because of this, he was able to discern that it was the Lord calling Samuel. Therefore, Eli, so verse 9, therefore, Eli said unto Samuel, go lie down. And it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Go down to verse 19, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now here's why I like that text so much. Eli knew, or I should say Samuel knew, that he had a role to follow after Eli. But he didn't yet understand what all it would entail. He didn't completely understand, if you will, the supernatural side of things, the, the spiritual side of things, of, of hearing God call him. Samuel didn't necessarily know exactly what he was going to be doing ten steps down the road. But the reason Samuel was successful, the reason Samuel was ultimately able to walk in the vision that God gave him, it was because of one thing. When God called him, he said, here am I. He didn't say, okay, God, here's my goals for 2010. How are you going to help me meet them? Here's what I think should happen. No. Samuel's response to the voice of God was simply, here am I. He was open to the voice of God to lead him because he knew that God knew best. In life, there are things that can, be, that can cause our vision to become impaired. I would dare say that most of us, if not all of us, have at least at one point in our spiritual life heard God speaking to us, calling us, giving us vision, if you will, about how he wants to use us for the purpose of the body of Christ. There's no doubt that hopefully all of us at some point have heard God saying, I'm going to use you for X, Y, or Z. 
But you see throughout life different things that can, can happen that can skew or change our vision. Toward the end of my military career, I had the opportunity of working with the uh, traumatic brain injury clinic at Fort Campbell. And one of the things that I saw very frequently there at, at the traumatic brain injury clinic was changes in the person's physical vision. There was a trauma that happened to the brain, and the brain is what controls vision. It's what helps to open or dilate and retract the pupils. It's what helps the brain or helps the eyes to then interpret what it is seeing. So when they suffer this damage to the brain, all of a sudden what they're seeing becomes skewed or changed from its, its normal perception. In our day-to-day -day life, I would say that all of us at some point have experienced some trauma, such as death, loss of a job, sickness, pain, any number of things that you could go through that you would easily identify as being some kind of event, some kind of trauma that has made an impact on our lives. For example, when someone is seriously hurt by a relationship, their perception of future relationships begins to change. We all know of, of, of people who maybe they were in an abusive relationship early on. And at some point they get out of that relationship. But the sad reality is, is that many, many times the victims of, of a traumatic, abusive relationship, what happens? It repeats. They then choose another person that is also abusive. And they choose another person. Why? Because their vision of what a relationship should be has been altered because of a hurt in their life. And if we're not careful, we will allow things that have happened to us personally, bad things, things that I'm not, I don't in any way want to downplay or minimize. But if we're not careful, we will allow our past hurts, our past issues to skew our very view of God and his body. We will close off ourselves from allowing God to use us because there's too much risk of being hurt again. Another factor that can often affect vision, physical vision, is your diet. You know, one of the, the most common complications long-term of diabetes is glaucoma, right? A change in your vision. What happens is, is as you are uh, unhealthy in diabetes, your, your, your sugar levels, your A1C is not being properly managed. Over time, it actually begins to cause problems with the blood vessels within your body. That's why there's a whole host of secondary things that can happen with uncontrolled diabetes. But one of the big things is, is that it causes changes in your vision, a breakdown of, of proteins that deposits over your eye, which is what we call glaucoma. So the longer that blood sugar, if you will, the longer that unhealthy eating habit goes untreated, the worse sometimes the vision can become. Well, the very same thing is true within the spiritual sense. Your vision is directly linked to what you feed yourself. If the voices that you allow to speak to you day in, day out, 
aren't speaking in accordance with the word of God, before you know it, your vision will become skewed to now look at God through the lens of what this other person has been telling you all this time. And that diet of, of, of biblically inaccurate teaching now puts you in a position where you don't even recognize that what you're seeing is not truth. It's not what God's word actually says. I'll tell you the most common thing that I have heard people say in some variation when they put themselves in this position. Well, I just feel that God wants me to do this. Well, interestingly, the Bible very much says the exact opposite thing. Well, I know, but I just feel. Well, God doesn't care how you feel if it's contradictory to the word of God. Okay, but here's what happens. In our, our society, we are driven by our emotions. We are driven by what it makes me feel. Oh, you better not say that to me because it could make me feel bad. But it's a fact. It doesn't matter. My feelings are more important than your facts. That is, unfortunately, too many Christians' view of the word of God. Ooh, the word of God says what I'm doing isn't right. Well, maybe I'm not looking at the word right. Maybe I need to change what, what I think it means so that it doesn't make me feel bad anymore. And, and our feelings begin to cloud our vision. So no longer is the vision now about the kingdom. No longer is the vision about advancing God's kingdom on this earth. It has now become about how does this benefit me? How is this going to make me feel good? We go back to the garden and we see from the very beginning that this is a very common tactic of the enemy. All the way back, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou, thou eatest, therefore thou shalt surely die. The scripture is perfectly clear as to what God wanted Adam and Eve to do and what he wanted them to do not to do. He didn't leave it open for interpretation. He didn't say, oh yeah, you can eat of that tree on Monday if you feel like it. No, it was very clear. Yeah, tend the garden, but you see that tree right there? Don't eat of it. Because if you do, you will die. But we know in Genesis 3, starting in verse 1, it says what? Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruits of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, when her vision became altered because she listened to the enemy, that thing which was very clearly marked as destruction if she did, all of a sudden now looked good to eat. The thing that changed was not the tree. The thing that changed was the voice that she was listening to. If we're not careful, we will allow the world to speak into our lives 
And we will become convinced, oh, yeah, they want the best for me. They want me to be prosperous. They want me to feel good. They want me to do those things. And therefore, if they want good for me, then they're not lying. I mean, come on, it has to be okay. The very first sin occurs because Eve allowed her vision to be skewed because she listened to a voice other than God's. The truth is, is that is going to be the problem from now until Christ returns. If you go generation after generation, we always say, oh, this generation is the worst. It's never been this bad. I mean, if you were to go back to the Roman days and see some of the stuff they were doing, you'd probably be like, whoa, that was way worse than what we're seeing now, in some ways. But the point is, is that the same pitfalls that were there then, that were there back in the garden, are still the same things that are here. If you allow your vision to be fed, if you will, to be shaped by voices other than God, your vision will become skewed. Now, I am almost out of time, so I want to do one thing here. I'm actually going to jump all the way down to the end of my notes, and I want to look real fast back at Proverbs 29, and I'll wrap it up with this. Proverbs 29, this is the verse that we open with, Proverbs 29 and 18. We said, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I said in the very beginning that this verse is something that's many times misread, misinterpreted, and misapplied to our lives. And the reason that it's often misinterpreted and misapplied is because we look at this one verse and we completely take it away from the context of the rest of the chapter. So we say here, we read this and we say, oh, there's no vision, people perish. Okay, that means that I have to stand up here and tell you as the church, church, we want 500 people by this time next year. That's the vision for the church, just 500 people for next year. And what happens is we walk out of the, out of the church and think that vision is now linked solely to do we get 500 people in the church. But the truth is, is that vision is much more in alignment with are we doing what God has for us? Are we viewing God the way that he actually is? And are we viewing our responsibility on this earth the way that he views our responsibility on the earth? Okay. So when you read all of the verses surrounding this verse, I'm just going to start in verse 15 for the sake of time. But listen to what is said. Context clues here. Listen to what is said in verse 15 of Proverbs 29. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but the righteous shall see their fall. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. See, this passage seems to indicate that the lack of vision occurs when a person is unwilling to be corrected. Vision is not something you wake up with one day and boom, you got it. You got saved on Monday and now on Tuesday you know everything there is to know about God, about how you should make day-to-day -day living, and you're never going to mess up again because you've got perfect spiritual vision. But that's not true, right? We still live in this fleshly vessel that is still susceptible to sin, that still makes mistakes. We, we live in a body that is prone to emotions. We get our feelings hurt. 
and we hurt others. It's the sad reality. I know I have. I've hurt other people, and other people have hurt me. And if we're not careful, we allow those things to change our vision. But the antidote, and this is the last point that I really want you to get, the antidote for poor vision is a willingness to be corrected. We see correction as this bad thing. Oh, I'm going to get my hand slapped because I made a mistake. Oh, the pastor, you know, he just doesn't want me to succeed and he just keeps fussing at me for X, Y, and Z. And we allow our emotions to put up a wall of bitterness against those that are trying to correct us, to help us to have our vision restored. But if we put ourselves in a position where we can no longer be corrected, you will become blind. The rest of the world doesn't understand either, unfortunately. We have to, as a church, be open to the correction from God. Listen, correction doesn't mean I get to stand up here and abuse you. Correction doesn't mean that any other person gets to stand up here and tell you that you're worthless and, and degrade you. That's not correction. That's abuse. Okay? But if someone comes to you and in love says, Brother, sister, I'm concerned because here's the things that you're doing and here's where it's leading you and here's what the word of God says. If you feel convicted and guilty, don't get angry. Be appreciative. Don't be mad at the other person. You should hug them if appropriate because your ability to hear others' voices speaking into your ear is the thing that's going to help you not fall by the wayside. And just like you need to have your vision corrected sometimes, I need to have my vision corrected sometimes. My wife and I were just recently talking about um, if you've ever done uh, these different like personality tests or done these tests of what, you know, what do you think people think of you what do you think of you? And then there's always this third little window. And they call it a Jahari window. And what the Jahari window is designed to do is to see that there's often this one little section of your life that you are completely blind to. That it's something within you that you may not be able to see yourself. Whether it's because you're skewed because of hurt. Whether it's because you're unwilling to do whatever it is. But there's often in each one of our lives these little blind spots. These things that maybe we don't see ourselves. But that's the beauty of the body of Christ. The blind spot that you may have that I can see and help you with. And in turn, I have a blind spot that maybe you can see that I can't and you can help me with. Correction isn't about me better than you or you better than me. It's about us coming together to be in alignment with the word so that we can advance the kingdom of God. Let's all stand. I'm going to have to save and come back for a part two at some point because there's like seven pages I didn't even touch yet. But I think that if, if, if we could just at least get this. Vision is dictated by God. Vision is dictated by the word of God. And vision is given to advance the kingdom of God. If any of those three things aren't happening in your vision, 
it's time for a correction. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I thank you that your word helps to illuminate, that it searches our hearts and helps to bring out that which is not like you, Jesus. I pray that all of us would maintain a spirit of humility, a heart that is soft to correction, because we know that you correct those who you love, that your correction is the thing that gives us protection from this world and from the lies and deceit of the enemy, Lord. Help us to all be open, to maintain a heart that wants to see you and your kingdom, to see your word lifted up above all other. Help us, O oh God, to come together in unity to advance your kingdom. We love you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Come back in 10 minutes ready to worship.